Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood, the podcast which celebrates growing up as a child in 1970s Britain and the important part that television played in our and our family's lives back then. We've had a bit of a time lapse in getting this episode live and for regular listeners, I apologise. I'm afraid as an amateur podcaster, life sometimes gets in the way, but for those who are binging episodes, it won't make any difference to you, but thanks for listening anyway. As usual, thanks for all your comments, posts and suggestions. If you want to join in the conversation, you can do so by visiting our Facebook page at my 70s TV Childhood, tweet at 70s TV Childhood, leave a comment on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com or you can simply email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com And actually, one of your comments has inspired today's theme – Thank you to Adam, who's been in touch. Now, Adam is a newish listener and has been listening to all of our previous episodes. He has kindly said how much he enjoyed our episode, Watching the Detectives, where we looked at the evolution of UK crime dramas through the 70s, from Dixon of Doc Green and Zed Cars, through to Juliet Bravo, and probably my all-time fave UK cop show, The Sweeney. Adam has asked, when are we going to hear the trailed look at what is a huge subject, the plethora of US cop and detective shows that seem to be everywhere during my childhood. Well, Adam, if you are listening, wait no more. The answer is now. And in this episode, we'll be looking at some of the US imports which gripped us as children, and hopefully we'll be bringing back some great memories as well. Now, as a starting point, I wrote down the names of every US cop or detective drama I could remember from my childhood, and remarkably, within about two minutes... I'd listed more than 30 shows. Have a go at this at home and let me know how many you can think of. Well, what this does make me think is that we must have been inundated by US-made TV generally during the 1970s, and that there must have been dozens and dozens of shows made and shown on US TV that never even made it over here. There are probably also lots that I can't remember. In our last episode, I was amazed to see both Henry Fonda and Glenn Ford, Hollywood legends, the two of them, popping up in Formula 8 cop shows, neither of which had registered with me as a child. And if anybody does remember the Smith family, or Cades County, can you let me know, and also let me know if they are any good? Anyway, with a long list of 30-plus shows to choose from, there is a danger I could ramble on all night. Uh, what's new, some of you say. So, in the interest of keeping you listening, I'm going to give you my top 10 US crime-detective shows from my childhood memories. Coming in at number 10 is a show which transported me from rainy Saturday afternoons in Warrington to an exotic, sun-filled paradise where law and order were upheld by two clean-cut, handsome guys on their big motorbikes. Hey, 
short for the California Highway Patrol, was pretty formulaic, but incredibly glamorous. At least it was to me. Traffic cops Ponch Poncherello and John Andrew Baker, played by Eric Estrada and Larry Wilcox, cruised the freeways of Los Angeles in endless bright sunshine, bringing help and justice to hapless motorists. I seem to remember there were often spectacular multi-vehicle pileups, which, to a ten-year-old, was brilliant television. There was also a nice dynamic between the two lead characters, Ponch being the fiery hothead who used to get in trouble with their, their sergeant or captain, I can't remember which, and John being the straight goody two-shoes who invariably helped keep his partner out of trouble. But I think looking back, the real star of the show was California. The big cars, the sunshine, the incredibly beautiful people was something which looked like another planet to a small boy on a Saturday afternoon in northwest England. At number nine is a bit of a strange one. Following Al Pacino's cinematic success in Serpico in 1973, a TV series followed in 1976 and was shown in the UK in the traditional Saturday night slot after the two Ronnies or Dick Emery or whatever used to be on at the time. The show starred David Burney as Maverick Cop, aren't so many of them, Frank Serpico, who worked to root out corruption in the New York Police Department. As in so many shows at the time, New York was portrayed as a seedy, crime-ridden hellhole where you were likely as not to be murdered, and probably murdered by a corrupt cop on the take from organised crime. I mean, it's no wonder that, as a child, I never wanted to visit New York. So when I ended up there many times as an adult, I was pleasantly surprised by what a wonderful place it is. Anyway, I was intrigued by Serpico. Mainly by the anti-corruption angle. He couldn't ever trust anyone. But also by the fact that most of his work was undercover. And, to be honest, he looked like a tramp with long hair and a messy beard. Not the sort of policeman I was used to seeing, but really quite compelling, as were the storylines. And this was, of course, decades before Ted Hastings and AC-12 were ever thought of. Not many people I know remember the TV show, and it didn't prove a hit in the US, being cancelled before the end of its first and only season, to be replaced in its US primetime slot by my number eight choice, which again was something completely different. Quincy, or Quincy M.E. to give it its full title, was a new twist on the detective drama. Starring Jack Klugman, the rubbery-faced actor best known at that point for playing Oscar in the TV version of The Odd Couple, the show revolved around the Los Angeles coroner's office, and by extension, the morgue. Quincy was a brilliant pathologist, a bit of a ladies' man I seem to remember, who, who lived on a yacht, very glamorous, Oh, and uh, it was Maverick. There we are again. As well as Maverick cops, we have Maverick coroners. 
and he must have been incredibly irritating for the LAPD to work with, as, from what I remember, most of his extracurricular detective work, often assisted by his sidekick, Sam, ended up proving that the police had got it wrong by using his brilliant forensic skills. It all sounds a bit like Silent Witness, but the big difference between the two shows is um, Quincy was usually quite amusing, and it didn't send you to bed with graphic nightmares. So, what have we got at number seven? Oh yes, it's one of many double acts. This is my boss, Jonathan Hart, a self-made millionaire. He's quite a guy. This is Mrs. H. She's gorgeous. What a terrific lady. By the way, my name is Max. I take care of them, which ain't easy, because their hobby is murder. Now, I've chosen Heart to Heart, but I could have just as easily chosen Macmillan and Wife as the examples of a genre which, I suppose, reflected the growing influence of women in American society. Heart to Heart began in 1979, so just sneaks into our period. And, although it ran until the mid-80s, it feels sort of right that it sits in my 70s TV childhood. As you've just heard, the premise was quite simple – Self-made millionaire and author-wife travel around solving murder cases. So what was so good about this couple? I think that what made this such a memorable show was that the leads, Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers, were incredibly glamorous and pretty believable as the husband and wife crime-fighting team in a way that others, like Macmillan and wife, weren't. Macmillan and his wife were a glamorous couple, I'll give you that, played by Rock Hudson and Jill St John, but they didn't have the slick timing and natural empathy that existed between Wagner and Powers. All very flash, usually a bit silly, but brilliant entertainment. Heart to Heart was a great example of the amateur and private detective genre, which abounded in the 1970s and, to be honest, still does. I do remember being a bit disappointed when, as a teenager, I saw a programme about British private detectives, whose activities seemed to be mainly trying to catch adulterous spouses in the act, or debt collection. That wasn't like any of the American private investigators. Especially not the one who sits at number six in my top ten. This is Jim Rockford. At the tone, leave your name and message. I'll get back to you. You are full of bullshit, my friend. I will sue you for everything you have. I will sue your ass.
Jim Rockford was an all-American, understated, but hugely effective private detective. Every episode will begin with him getting a message on his answer phone. What was that? Such a thing was unheard of in 1970s Britain. If somebody didn't answer the phone, you had to call them back, ideally after 6pm to get the cheap rate. Anyway, a message had come on his answer phone, and that would set up the week's mystery. Jim Rockford had a slightly different backstory. He was an ex-con who had been pardoned, having been jailed for a crime he didn't commit, and he lived in a rather run-down trailer on the California coast. He was devoted to his dad. He actually dressed like someone who lived in a trailer park, and... I seem to remember, was always getting beaten up in his pursuit of what often started out as hopeless cases. But in spite of this, and all for $200 a day plus expenses, he usually solved the case. I liked the Rockford Files as it was a bit different, a bit quirky, and seemed, albeit to a child, more realistic than some of the other private investigators we saw. I remember in one of them at one time watching Barnaby Jones rather incredulously. Now, for those who remember, Barnaby Jones was a private investigator played by Buddy Ebsen, who, in my mind, could only ever be Jed Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies. So seeing him in a crime procedural was not in the least bit credible to my childlike mind. OK, so what's at number five in my list? Well, here's something that may sound a bit like the beginning of a fairy tale. Once upon a time, there were three little girls who went to the police academy. And they were each assigned very hazardous duties. But I took them away from all that, and now they work for me. My name is Charlie. Charlie's Angels caused a huge stir in the UK when it burst onto our screens in January 1977. I remember there had been a massive amount of hype about the show, which had been a phenomenal success in the US. Now, for those of you who don't remember the show or who only know about the later film versions, the premise was reasonably simple. The mysterious Charlie, who was never seen in the show other than from a distance or from behind, and was voiced by John Forsyth, later to become Blake Carrington in Dynasty. Well, Charlie selected three young police officers, who also happened to be beautiful women, to be his angels and to solve crimes as private detectives. And um, that was about it. The three original angels, Farrah Fawcett Majors, then married to the bionic man Lee Majors, Jacqueline Smith and Kate Jackson, became megastars during the first series and it seemed to be in every magazine and all over the newspapers. Why was that? I think it's because the producer, Aaron Spelling, had found a magic formula. Detective drama, combined with pretty obvious sex appeal, which could actually be sold to a doubting audience as promoting strong female characters following almost a feminist agenda. Who could argue with that? Anyway, that first series was a huge success in the UK and, I would imagine, all over the world. Did it really have a feminist agenda? 
I'll let you decide on that one. And so, before moving on to number four on my list, just one more thing. And that could only mean Columbo and Peter Falk. Lieutenant Frank Columbo was a homicide detective for the LAPD. There must have been lots of deaths in LA and New York, given the number of homicide detectives featured in TV shows from those cities. Anyway, the intriguing thing about Columbo for me, watching as a child, was that the writers flipped the police procedural entirely on its head and revealed who'd done it and how as the opening to each episode. So there was no mystery to be solved. And the drama simply unfolded as Peter Falk shambled around the set, seemingly clueless, but using his incredible powers of deduction to piece together exactly what had happened, usually culminating in a long head-to-head conversation with a guilty person. So no suspense, no remarkable left-field bits of evidence being thrown in at the last minute, just good old-fashioned police work, allowing Frank to get his man in the end. Surprisingly enthralling stuff, and like many of the others, Columbo proved very popular, both in the US and over here. On a side note, I do remember entering a fancy dress competition at primary school as Columbo. Dead easy for a costume, a scruffy raincoat and a box of sweet cigarettes from the newsagent. Remember them? However, I was amazed to find three other Columbos in the lineup, so uh, none of us were winners on that occasion. Okay, so on to the top three in my selection. At number three, I've got wisecracking, sweet-talking, lollipop-chewing, new-look, lieutenant Theo Kojak. Yet another show that occupied the Saturday night cop show slot. We discussed the show at some length in our episode Saturday Night's Alright, so I won't go on at length now, other than to say my friends and I at primary school all love the show, and especially Kojak's catchphrases. Who loves you, baby? And cracker. It was another show that made New York look slightly better than Sodom and Gomorrah, but not that much better. Great characters, great writing, great acting. Not least by Telly Savalas himself as the lead. And famously his brother George as Stavros. So what's at number two, I hear you ask? Well, this is another show which I've mentioned in previous episodes but it's well worth mentioning again. It was a show that used to be on Granada, my local ITV station in the 70s, on a Friday night after kick-off, the local football preview show, which I watched religiously. Now, this show was a programme, like some of the others we mentioned, which transported me from the dull, drab northwest of England to an exotic, magical place that looked absolutely amazing. Oh, and it had a cracking theme tune.
Yes, Hawaii Five O. That music and the opening title sequences used to blow me away. You had dudes surfing, dragon boats, volcanic islands, the beaches and hotels of Honolulu all flashing up in front of you, together with the cast, Jack Lord as Steve McGarrett, leading a brave bunch of cops, including ones of Japanese and Pacific Island ethnicity, usually trying to feed the evil machinations of Woe Fat, the mysterious crime boss at the heart of many of the dramatic episodes. And all of that was just in the opening credits. We then had the excitement of the main episode after that. All gripping, gripping stuff. And the sort of thing I loved as a child. So, what's at number one? That's a pretty pathetic drum roll. Um, it's another one of the Saturday Night Cop shows we all loved. And can you guess which one? David Starsky and Kenneth Hutchinson roared onto our screens in their red and white Ford Gran Torino in the UK one Saturday night in April 1976, and Saturday nights were never the same after that. The show was an instant hit, and I remember that from that point, Starsky and Hutch became a regular playtime game, especially when we were allowed to go on the playing fields in the summer and roll around pretending to be jumping in and out of cars and jumping down fire escapes. Once again, we found ourselves in California, this time in the fictional Bay City, which had the usual problems of murder, drug dealing, prostitution, and general violence, a lot of it against women. What made the show stand out was the incredible chemistry between the two leads, who genuinely seemed to care about each other, and to go the extra mile to look out for one another. The plots were also gripping, well-written, and the supporting cast of Captain Doby and Huggy Bear provided great foil to the two leads. Paul Michael Glazer, who played Starsky, and David Soule, who was Hutch, became huge international stars. And David Soule even launched a successful career as a singer, which included two UK number ones with Don't Give Up On Us Baby and Come On Silver Lady Take My Hand, etc, etc. I cannot underestimate how popular the show was with all ages. My parents and us kids all loved it, and it was part of our Saturday night ritual to sit around the TV watching the show together, something which I don't think happens much anymore. And for me, of all the US cop dramas on British TV during the 70s, this was the one that brought us together and gave us something to talk about on Mondays at school and at work. In my view, it was the best of the lot. And that's why it's my number one. Well, what do you think of my choices? 
Which shows would you have in your top 10 US crime shows? Let me know on our Facebook page at My 70s TV Childhood. Leave a comment on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com. Tweet at 70s TV Childhood. Or email me, Oliver, at my70stvchildhood.com. Hope you've enjoyed looking back at watching The Detectives US style. And I really hope to see you again soon for more from My 70s TV Childhood. <laughs>